Wong Keith. In case you were sleeping, I just woke you up. Well, in case you didn't know, Pastor Tim's on vacation uh, this week, so he didn't hurt himself or anything again this time. Uh, he didn't tear any muscles. In fact, he probably hasn't used any muscles since he hurt himself last time. So, I'm just kidding. He'll probably listen to this and we'll have that talk we always have after he goes on vacation. <laughs> just, Chad knows what I'm talking about. That's right. So. Anyways, I want to share with you a message this morning on how to make the decisions or hard decisions in life. It's kind of a long introduction, and the reason I have such a long introduction is because I want you to get your fingers ready, because we're going to go to a, a fairly, uh, well, at least five or six different passages of Scripture. And I don't put them up on the screen, and, uh, because, as you know, I'm kind of lazy, and I don't really do the PowerPoint thing. So uh, you have to just kind of follow along and uh, uh, go to the passages of Scripture as we get there. Or you can write them down and look at them later. We're going to read them no matter what, but if you want to find them in Scripture, then get ready, lick your finger, and get ready to go when we go to these different uh, parts of Scripture. So, how to make hard decisions in life. What I want to share with you this morning is just how to do that according to the Word of God. And, and before we start, I want, to, I want to share with you what type of decisions that we're talking about. You see, the Bible, the Bible is very explicit on matters of sin. Would you say amen to that? It tells us pretty much what sin is. There's, there's not any reason, when you think about it, there's not any reason to wonder on what it is that God forbids us to do. Because in Scripture, it's, it's laid out there fairly plain. Let me give an example. How many in here have heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, like almost everybody should have raised their hand, but some are just, just too lazy. Okay, we, we have the Ten Commandments, and here the Lord lays out the things that, that he does not permit us to do, some of the things that he does not permit us to do. And then there are some things that he commands us to do in the Ten Commandments. There are, there are other things which God commands us to do, and not to do them would be a sin as well, correct? And so, when you think about it, in other words, honor thy father and thy mother, if, not, if you don't do that, that would be a sin. Love your neighbors yourself. You know, those kinds of things are pretty, lay, pretty, pretty well laid out in Scripture. So, so, so when you think about it, we're not left in the dark about sin, correct? I mean, the reason I'm asking you so many times, you need to understand this before we go any further. Because somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, you know, some of those things you said, Pastor Ron, I'm not sure that's a sin or not. Well, that's why I'm going through these points. But there are some things you know is sin. God doesn't hide that from us, correct? And that's what I want you to understand. So we're not left in the dark about sin. We know what's wrong, and we also know what's right. God has given us a clear word on that. So don't, that's not what we're talking about this morning. Those things in which we know are clearly wrong and clearly right. That's, that's not what we're looking at. We're not looking at those things that are explicitly right or wrong. Let me give you an example. If someone proposes to you the possibility of, of lying or cheating or stealing or murdering or committing adultery, okay, what would you say? The answer would be no. Thank you. Okay? And why would the answer be no? 
Because we know the Word of God says those things are absolutely wrong. We, we, would know, we know that it's pretty obvious they're not acceptable in a Christian's life. Now, I'm going to rephrase that. We think they're wrong because there's many in the world today are changing that. I'm talking about in a Christian's life, we know those things are not acceptable through the, by the Word of God or from God. Now, if someone proposes to you the idea of reading the Bible, praying, sharing the gospel, loving your fellow man, uh, things like that, what would you say to that? Yes, there we go. I think you're getting it now. Yes, because it's pretty obvious those things are right and acceptable to God. Those are acceptable things that we should do. We want to look at those things that fall in that middle area. That's the decisions I'm talking about. Those things that fall in that middle area, things that the Bible doesn't directly address, if you will, in our lives. Because this is where the, this is where the difficult problem comes in, in decision-making. Someone may ask, what about those things that, and we hear this all the time, the gray area, or neutral, things that are neutral? And I know some of you are going to struggle in here because some people in here don't believe there is such a thing as a gray area in the Bible. Everything's black or white. Well, that may not be me, so just bear with me for the next two hours, okay? <laughs> those things that are neutral, those things that, that aren't bad in themselves, those things that aren't bad, but they don't necessarily fit the criteria of obviously right or obviously wrong. That's the area we're talking about. That's what we're talking about and making these hard decisions in life. Well, what about this category? What falls in the middle, so to speak, between obviously right and obviously wrong? Well, there's some examples I want to share with you that may pertain to you, may not. You may think it's silly, but some people do not. One of these areas could be, could be a, a food. Some people feel that some foods we can eat and some foods we should not eat. Have you ever run into someone like that? Sure. Some people feel that sports are sinful, and to some, they are like a god. But others, well, sports are a very good activity, and they're good recreation. Do you know someone like that? Some people believe that, and you can go back, some people believe that TV is sinful, and, or, or going to movies is sinful. In fact, I don't know the, the deep... History of First Baptist, I'm talking years and years and years ago, but there are plenty of Baptist churches, and some of you know this already, where they have it right in their bylaws that you're not to attend the movies. I don't know if they changed that once they invented the VCR and stuff like that, where you could just bring the movies home, but I know there are some Baptist churches, and maybe other churches as well, that have it right in the Constitution that the members of the church are not to attend the movies. You may say that's weird, but that's... An, and, and if you were here and we used to have it in our Constitution, maybe you won't say it's weird. I just, I'm just telling you, this is one of the areas that we're talking about this morning. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know if you believe TV is sinful or going to movies is sinful, but I'm not talking about what you watch. That may fall into the category of sin. I'm not talking about what you watch. I'm talking about the activity itself. Okay? Some think... That if you do anything on Sunday, if you play or if you work or anything else, it is a sin. Except, of course, the sin of gluttony. You can do that one on Sunday. 
can eat all you want all day long. Some folks think that playing cards is a sin. How many here have ever heard that before? I know some of you older people better raise your hand because some people, people think that playing cards is a sin. Some people feel that long hair on men is a sin and short hair on women is a sin and is wrong and shouldn't be done. Some believe certain types of clothing styles are sinful. Now, I'm not talking about the modesty issue here. I'm talking about styles like blue jeans. I mean, here have you ever heard the devil wears blue jeans? Or something along that line. Blue jeans or, or dresses or skirts or whatever. Some people struggle with those types of decisions because of what they've been taught. Some people believe certain types of music is sinful and others not so much. The list could go on and on and on. There are a lot of areas like this that, that fall into that middle category, if you will. And that's what I want to talk about this, this morning. I want you to remember that these areas, were, uh, they're not, they don't have any direct quotes in Scripture that forbid them or not forbid them. But we do have principles in Scripture. Keep that in mind. We have principles in Scripture to guide us in making these decisions. And so this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at 10 principles in Scripture that can help us make these hard decisions in life. Now, before you panic, we're only going to look at five this morning and five tonight. So if you want to hear the last five, you've got to come back tonight. Okay, if you don't want to hear the last five, well, then I probably won't see you. Okay, so we're going to look at the first five this morning. Five principles that will help us make these hard decisions in life. The first principle, in fact, all the principles... We can apply by asking a question. The very first principle, will it be spiritually profitable for me? Will it be spiritually profitable if I participate in this or if I don't do that? Whatever the case, whatever it is that you may have to make a decision on, will it be spiritually profitable? And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, look with me in verse 12. Here Paul writes, none of these passages I think will be very unfamiliar to you, but applying them may be a little different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I want you to just take a look at the very first part. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Let's clarify this a little more. What he's saying is all things that are not unlawful are lawful. That's what he means here. So he's not talking about the things that the Bible strictly forbids already. You know, murder, adultery, those things. Those are not lawful for you. That's not what he's talking about. That does not fall into that category. So all things that are not unlawful for me are lawful. So all the things in the Bible that says we should not do, we should not do them. But what about those things that, that the Bible doesn't address? Those are all lawful for me to do. But then he says this, but not all things are helpful. You see, there are some things in Scripture that are already said to be unlawful or sinful, but that doesn't mean that he's not talking about those things that fall into the middle ground those are the things that are lawful. So, if you have that in mind, then it says all things may be lawful, 
but all things are, but all things are not beneficial or helpful or profitable. Depends on which translation you have. All three of them are taken care of there. One says beneficial, one says profitable, our ESV says helpful. It literally means this, they are not to my spiritual advantage. And if you're going to write something down, that's what you write, need to write down. Will it be spiritually profitable to me if I participate in this? Will it be to my spiritual advantage? That's what you're looking for. If it is not to your spiritual advantage, then maybe you shouldn't participate in that. If it's not profitable for you spiritually, beneficial or helpful, then maybe you shouldn't participate in that. Let me give you an example. It's a real simple example. It's kind of a, most of my examples are silly, but that's because they try not to step on too many toes. Let me give you this one here. There's an example of sleep. There's nothing wrong with sleep, right? We all need some, correct? Yes, we do. Many of us would like more of it, but we don't get it. In fact, there's nothing wrong with sleeping in, correct? Your mom and dad may not think so, but there's nothing wrong with sleeping in, unless it is Sunday morning, then the Lord will punish you. I, I just threw that in there. That might not be true. Okay? This good thing, sleep, this good thing, if done too frequently, though, or sleeping in is done too frequently, it will not be to your spiritual advantage or your spiritual profit. Why? Because it can cultivate laziness and slothfulness and things like that. So even though it's a good thing, sleep, and sleeping in once in a while is okay, it may not be spiritually profitable for you to do it too frequently. That makes sense? That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Now, there are many things in life like that. And we may have to ask ourselves, will it be spiritually beneficial to do that or not to do that? Remember, remember what we're talking about. Remember, we're not looking at life from this standpoint, and this is where many Christians get off the mark. We're not looking at, the, at life from the standpoint of, can I do this and get away with it because it is lawful? But can I do this and have it increase my godliness? That's what we're thinking of. Will it, will it be spiritually profitable for me? The second principle, the second question we should ask, will it build me up spiritually? Now, this is a lot like the first one. Will it be spiritually profitable? But this one is, will it build me up spiritually? And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just take a look at one verse, verse 23. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, once again, all things are lawful, Paul writes, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up, or not all things edify. This is the difference here between this and the other verse. This is what we have to ask. Will it put me on the path, if I participate in this, will it put me on the path to greater spiritual maturity? Or will it draw me away from the things of God? That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Will it, will it build me up? Will it add to my life things that will increase my spiritual stability, or that will increase my spiritual strength if I participate in this? Or will it draw me away from God? Or will it draw me closer to God? Will it build me up? 
spiritually speaking. Folks, this is where self-discipline comes in. This is where we have to ask ourselves, do I really need this? Or do I really need to, to do this? Or do I really need to do that? Will it increase me spiritually? Will it build me up in the things of God? If it does not, then you shouldn't participate in it. We can always ask, if I do this, if I do this, will it build me spiritually? And will it move me towards Christ-likeness? Or will it not? Many things, you know what? Many things do not move us toward Christ-likeness. Isn't that correct? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Will it build me up? Now, I know you're thinking, we've only done two, and so far I can't participate in hardly anything. That's not the case at all. Third principle, number three. Ask the question, will it slow me down in life? Will it slow me down in life? And I'm talking about our Christian walk in life. Will it slow me down on my Christian walk? And uh, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. I guess I should turn there myself. In Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you don't need to turn to it. The Bible tells us that we are running a race to obtain a prize. That's the Christian race. That's our Christian life. And that's what we're talking about here in our Christian walk. Back a chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the great faith chapter, and it gives us a host of people uh, which, which they're referring to here, partly here, in Hebrews chapter 12, this great cloud of witnesses where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have some of them in chapter 11 who had already run this race on the earth. We have Abraham and Enoch and Moses and Sarah and, and, and Noah, and the list goes on and on and on. There's great examples to us on how to run this Christian race, how to live this Christian life and obtain the prize at the end. So in order to run this race of the Christian life, the Bible tells us here in chapter 12 that we need to set aside every weight and sin that can slow us down. The King James says that easily besets us. That can slow us down. So what's this tell us? This tells, me a couple, tells us a couple of things. That there is a difference between sin and some sort of needless bulk that slows us down. And we're not talking about the sin, remember? We know God explicitly forbids certain things that are sinful. So we're talking about this needless bulk. In fact, that's the Greek term for this word is bulk. It is something that clings to us. It's a weight. It is whatever it is in, in our spiritual life that clings to us so tightly that it slows us down. How many in here have or have or had little kids? Okay? And they get a hold of your leg and they're holding on to it. And you've got to walk like this for a little while. That would be 
The little kid's not the extra weight, don't get me wrong, but it slows you down in your walk. It is an extra weight that's not normally there. It's bulk. It isn't sin. Don't get it mixed up. It isn't sin. It's just needless bulk. And it is something that weighs us down. It diverts our priorities from the, from the things of God and it, and, it, and it takes our attention away from the things of God and it sucks our energy. It dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. That's the needless bulk. That's the extra weight that clings to us. You know what I'm talking about? Things in our lives, and I think most of us have them or have had them at some time. Let me give you a silly example right off the bat. I read this somewhere long ago, and maybe you've read it too, but we have a, the story of two Olympic runners. And uh, they go to wherever the Olympics are, and they're, they're ready to go. They're ready to run the next morning, and the one Olympic runner goes out the night before, and he drinks, and he carouses around with the ladies, and, and does all kinds of wicked stuff that he shouldn't be doing, wakes up the next morning, and has to run this race. Now, he would fall into the category of where sin has beset him or slowed him down, correct? Then you have the second Olympic runner who stayed in the motel or Olympic village or whatever it is they have, got plenty of rest, ate the right foods, was ready, energized, got up the next morning, went to the race, put on a wool coat and combat boots. Did he sin? No. Did he have extra needless bulk? Is he stupid? Yeah. But that's what we're talking about. He, why would he do that? That would slow him down in the race. Let me give you a more practical example. Is it sinful to go out with your wife on a Saturday night and have a late dinner and then go for a nice drive and sit in the moonlight at the beach and tell your wife how much you love her and on and on and on and on? And you get home about two or three in the morning. Is that sinful? No, it's not. In fact, some of you are saying, I wish my husband would do that. <laughs> but let's add one other dimension. Suppose, suppose, think about this, suppose you have prayer time scheduled at 7 o'clock Sunday morning, and you have a Sunday school class to teach at 8 o'clock. It's not sinful to do that, but it is a lot of unnecessary bulk to do it. That'll cling to you. That'll hold itself to you. That'll slow you down in your Christian race. And then it begs the age-old question, would you have done that on a work night? So there may be some things in life there may be some things in life that we just don't participate in because for us, maybe not others, but for us, it is needless bulk and it slows us down in our Christian walk. There are some things in life that we just don't participate in. There are some things in life that we restrict for no other reason than that, that they would slow us down in the race. Anything, anything that affects my serving God, that affects my serving Christ in a negative way, I won't do. That's what we need to say. That's what we need to commit to. It might not be in itself evil, but it becomes needless bulk 
needless weight from me. And I don't want to participate in it. Do you have something like that in your life this morning? Some needless weight that's clinging to you and slowing you down? Well, the fourth principle, we can ask this question. Will it bring me into bondage? Will it bring me into bondage? If I participate in this activity, if I do this, or whatever the case may be, will it bring me into bondage? And if you'll turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, we'll look at the second part of the verse we've already read. I should have told you to keep your finger. Well, you did. I had several fingers by this time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And then it says this, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be dominated by anything. Listen closely, folks. We should never allow anything apart from Christ to become our master. Nothing. In Psalm chapter 8, the Bible says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. And then he says this, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea... God has given us dominion over those things. And yet so often the things of this world has dominion over us, has mastery over us. You know, after reading this, isn't it amazing how many of us yield to the stupidest things in life? How many men and women have turned their lives upside down because they, they, they have allowed alcohol to take control and they've fallen into bondage to it? Many. Many, many. How many men and women have ended up dead because of the bondage of tobacco in their life? Even with warnings on the packages. It's an addiction. And is in bondage. They're in bondage. How many, have, how many have had their lives totally ruined because of the mastery of drugs or gambling or pornography in their lives? It could be many things. It could be gluttony. It could be TV. It could be sex. The list could go on and on and on and on and on. There are people who are absolutely paralyzed if they don't get home in time to watch their favorite program. It could be anything. There are so many things that can enslave us. So many things that, that can bring us into bondage. And so it's so important that we ask this question. It's so important that we take heed of this principle. Will it, or better yet, write this down, does it have the potential to bring me into bondage, to make me its slave? If it does, I don't want any part of it. Folks, there are, there are things that inherit in it can take control of me. If that's the case, we shouldn't participate in it. We shouldn't do it. But it has the potential to, to, to bring me into bondage. 
If so, don't do it. That's a, that's a hard question to ask because so many things out there seem so enjoyable, and they are, but they have the potential to bring us into bondage. The fifth and last principle, and we'll look at this morning. Will it violate the lordship of Christ in my life? Will it violate the lordship of Christ in my life? If you'll turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And that's, we went back to one of these areas of how to make hard decisions. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are what? We are the Lord's. Now I want you to think about this. Every Christian should live in submission to the Lordship of Christ in their lives. Do you agree with that? What may be right for you may not be right for someone else. This is those, this is not in the, not, and we're not talking about doctrinal issues here, okay? We're, we're not talking about what's explicitly right and wrong or what's explicitly sin or not. Well, we're talking about those middle ground, those middle, that middle area. Every one of us needs to live in submission to the Lord on what the Lord has spoken to us. In other words, Whatever may be the restrictions in a Christian's life, he does them because that's what the Lord wants him or her to do. Let me say that again. Whatever, whatever may be the restrictions in your life, you do them because that's what the Lord wants you to do or not to do. In other words, we should ask, is this something the Lord wants me to do? Do you ask that when you have to make a decision? Is this something the Lord wants me to do? Is this something I believe the Lord would want? Or is this something I believe the Lord would not want me to participate in? Do not fall into this trap. Well, I know Bill, he does it, so it must be okay. That's not one of the principles. You ask, is this something the Lord wants me to do? Not Bill, or Sally, or whatever you want to call him. You see, how do we know this? How do we know if this is something the Lord wants me to do or not? Well, we find this out. We find this out by listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to me closely this morning. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He dwells within you. He dwells within every single believer. And we need to be very careful not to quench 
the Spirit of God. We must be very careful not to quench the Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us. And so we ask ourselves, will this violate my understanding of the Lordship of Christ in my life? I'm not worried about my wife's life. I'm not worried about my neighbor's life. I'm not worried about... Will it violate that in my life? Let me give an example. If someone comes up to you and says, can you do this or, or can you do that? And you know, you know the Holy Spirit is pricking your conscience not to do it, then don't do it. You don't have to have a, well, why don't you want to do it? Well, you may not have a good answer. The answer is, I just don't feel like that's something the Lord wants me to do right now or ever. And if that's not a good enough answer for someone, well, then so be it. Don't train yourself to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you don't want to violate the Lordship of Christ in your life. John MacArthur gives us a great example here. It's kind of a long story. I just want to read it to you. This is the story of an evangelist in Michigan. And he tells us of the time when he was holding a week-long revival meeting at a church. And after the meeting on Sunday night, the pastor of the church asked, uh, he asked the, the evangelist what was going on tomorrow. And the evangelist said, well, we're going golfing in the morning and in the afternoon do some visitation. And the pastor said, golf? During a revival meeting? Aren't you committed to the work of God? Did you come here to play or to minister? An evangelist replied, a little of both. In fact, I would like for you to come along and join us. We could get to know one another a little better. We could have some fellowship together. We could get acquainted with one another. The pastor said, never. Never. I've committed myself all week long to prayer and all week long to this revival. And the evangelist said, well, I still think it would be great if you could come along. The pastor said, no. No way. I'd never do that. Well, Monday morning came, and they were on the golf course, and guess who showed up? The reluctant pastor. And he said, I'm going to do this, but I know I shouldn't. I'm only doing it out of hospitality. Now, in the very first hole, they teed off, and right in the middle of the fairway, somebody yells, Four! And this pastor looks up, bang! Ball hits him right in the mouth. He loses two teeth just like that. And the story goes that he fell down beside a tree saying, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You want to know something? If he believed that golf on a Monday morning during a revival was wrong before that, you can be sure he believed it was wrong after that. All that happened to that man was that he was pushed closer or deeper and deeper into his lack of freedom because he read it as a judgment of God. And it may very well have been. Because if you look at verse 5, it says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That pastor was not fully convinced in his own mind. For him, for him, it was violating the lordship of Christ in his life. He knew he shouldn't have done it. It's not right. It's not wrong. It was wrong for him. Listen, God doesn't want anyone to violate his conscience when the Holy Spirit is working in their life. Would you agree with that? And we need to be careful about that. So we ask, will it violate the lordship of Christ in my life? 
If the answer is yes, then don't do it. Don't participate. Well, do you make the hard decisions? How well do you make the hard decisions in your life? Do you ask yourself these questions? Are questions like these? Maybe there's, maybe there's something you're participating in that you shouldn't be participating in. Or maybe there's something you should be participating in that you're not participating in. I want you to just look at the principles of Scripture and ask the hard questions and make the decisions that are honoring to God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your word and the principles of your word. And Father, I pray this morning you will help each and every one of us make those decisions that fall into that middle area, if you will, decisions that maybe are right for others but not right for us. Father, decisions that will help us grow spiritually, build us up spiritually, decisions that will keep us out of bondage, Father, decisions that will be in submission to Christ in our life. Father, thank you for this time this morning, and thank you, Father, for your word in Christ's name. Amen.